This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and host of Give Me Strength, where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. My guest today is Natalie Liu, who is the author of The Joy of Saying No, a simple plan to stop people pleasing, reclaim boundaries, and say yes to the life you want. Now, being a people pleaser is absolutely part of my personality trait and something that I'm definitely trying to work on. And in The Joy of Saying No, Natalie shares how to reclaim yourself from the cycle of people pleasing and supercharge your relationships and experiences by discovering the healing and transformative power of no. Today, we're going to discuss people-pleasing, boundaries, fostering more intimate relationships, and having more fulfilling experiences, and how to reconnect with your values. Natalie, I'm so excited to be joined by you today. I think this podcast probably comes at a good time because I feel like I've been struggling with my own journey of people-pleasing tendencies, and I'm just so excited to have someone who really focuses in on this area because I think it's something that a lot of us are trying to work on. I said to you in this in the um, sort of briefing before we started that I turned 30 this year and it's been a big mission of mine in my sort of 30s decade. I'm like, right, this is the decade that I stop being such a people pleaser. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to kick off our conversation today, first of all, by asking you, what do we actually mean by people pleasing? When we people please, it's We are, whether it's consciously or not, we are suppressing and repressing our needs, desires, expectations, feelings, and opinions to put everybody else's ahead of ours. 
And we are doing it because we think, oh, this is a really pleasing thing to do, to hide myself, to hold myself back, to, you know, to sacrifice, to sort of act like I'm the same as everybody else. Because then we think, well, it will help me get attention, affection, approval, love and validation. So that sort of sense of belonging and, and safety. Uh, we also do it, though, because we are trying to avoid conflict, criticism, stress, disappointment, loss, rejection, and even what we might call abandonment. So that means that people pleasing really comes down to telling people what we think they want to hear, going along with things, even if it's not in our best interests, often saying yes when we really mean no, or saying yes, and then belatedly going, oh, actually, how do I feel about this? What do I need out of this? And we are often playing roles in our relationship where we have this job. Oh, it's my job to be a good listener. It's my job to be the diplomat, the peacemaker. It's my job to be the helper. So we keep doing what we think are often good things, but for the wrong reasons. And that's what makes it people pleasing. So lots of us do things for other people and maybe we work a few extra hours here or there, but we're not doing it because we're afraid of what will happen if we don't do it. We're not doing it because we're on autopilot where we've just not even considered ourselves. And we're not doing it because on some level we're trying to overcompensate for low feelings of, of self-worth or because we think, oh, if I don't do this, I'm not going to get the love I want. It's so interesting. And I think that one thing I'd love to pick up on and I think is a really, really interesting area is this idea of trying to avoid conflict. Ooh. And I think in the in the environment in which we find ourselves so many of us find ourselves in that position. I think particularly myself, I guess, being online, having a presence on social media, I have found myself becoming, I'll use the term, more and more sort of vanilla um, because I'm almost afraid of saying too much or saying the wrong thing or sort of upsetting anyone. Um, and so we become so censored that a lot of us become very, you know, um, I guess, limited in what we then talk about. And it all becomes quite vanilla, quite beige uh, and very appeasing, I guess, to a, to, a, to a general audience. I'd love to hear the role you think that social media has on how a lot of us have now become more sort of people pleasing in our tendencies. Yeah, I, I think that I think what you are talking about is a really common experience. And I think actually that the more of a presence you have, the more followers you have, the more it can feel like, wow, if I put a foot wrong, if I don't do the expected thing, then I'm really going to get it in the neck. It's and, and look, people feel this way even when they have 10 followers, but of course the impact of that is minimal. But when you have a lot and you turn around and you say something and it it can sometimes just snowball into something else. I think it can feel quite frightening. So I think that something that social media has done is that it has given all of us a window into each other's lives. So before, so, you know, I managed to go all the way through childhood and arrive in adulthood before there was such a thing as like getting on the internet. So I was able to go through childhood without being able to see what everybody else is up to. And that has its pluses and minuses because the, the positives of having so much visibility and connection to others is that we realize that we're not alone. We get to connect with more like-minded people. We get to do things that under other circumstances we wouldn't have been able to. 
The flip side of that is we engage in a lot of comparison. There, there can be when we feel like there's a sense of belonging or the sense that if I say this kind of thing, that seems to get me a lot of attention. If I attack a certain type of person, that seems to get me a lot of attention. The downside of all of that is that one, we can be on the receiving end of that attention seeking. And two, I think that people get drawn into playing up to sort of, oh, I'm going to be, the sh you know, create the shock factor. I think there's a lot of people online who are not who they say they are. They mm. have an online persona and they have realized they get far more attention that way than they would do in real life. You know, I, I sort of liken it to she who shall not be named. Well, not Katie Hopkins, is it? Yeah. But yeah. it's that mentality where a person realizes I'm not going to get attention for a positive thing, but I do get attention when I say sort of really sort of out there negative things. And I think there's a number of people. stuff. Yeah. Mm. So I think there's a lot of people who do that because they just, they, they feel like all attention is good attention. And so they know that they're not going to, or they believe they're not going to get positive attention. So they really lean into that negative attention. I think social media has really intensified conflict. The funny thing is, is that when you're, when you're offline, you realize that things are not anywhere near as intense as they are portrayed online. But I think, I, I feel like we've, we have lost nuance. Like I grew up and there was, there was nuance and there was a sense of perspective and this yeah. recognition that people have different opinions and different perspectives. Of course, some of them are dodgy. But there was more of a recognition of that. Now it's you're very with me or against me, this real sort of herd mentality on social media. So I think it can be, I think it's quite an anxiety inducing time for a lot of people on, on social media because you want to go and create, you want to share, but you also don't want to lay yourself out there to become a target. Exactly that. And I completely agree with you that there's this very much like all or nothing mindset that you have to almost, it's, uh, you know, uh, attach yourself to different tribes and you have to be all in or nothing. And I found that even with myself, you know, people either, sometimes you get this, like people either love you or hate you. And it's like, actually you can like bits of me and not like all of me and still engage with my content and find me like challenging on some things, but like other things and, and that's okay. And I think that, um, I, I liken, you know, the kind of, I loved your point about it being attention seeking and, and whether it's good or bad, it's attention in any form. And I think that's almost like reverting back to a childlike state. You know, when you're a child, yeah. you you want attention. And if you don't get it through the right way, you, naturally you you lash out and you do the things that you sort of know instinctively get you attention, even if it's for the wrong reasons. And I think we've really almost gone back to that online, that people are almost being this like childlike state of kind of having to be as shocking and inflammatory as possible just to get those clicks and attention that they that they desperately need. And it's and it's sad in a way. And sometimes I can see through it, but sometimes I also find it like desperately frustrating because it's sort of like the 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 most inflammatory stuff is often the most harmful stuff, the stuff that's just so damaging. And mm. you're like, hang on a second, there's loads of people online doing really great stuff, but it's not quite shocking enough to be the big clicks, the big views, whatever. And I think that that's often as a creator, really frustrating. Um, but I wanted to bring it back to to people pleasing, because I do think that, you know, within that, there's a lot of people pleasing that goes on whatever tribe you kind yeah. of attribute yourself to. I also wonder whether 
all of us inherently within us have people-pleasing tendencies. Uh, yes. And I wondered yes. if you could maybe talk about maybe tracking that back to sort of how we develop these as people, mm -hmm. as children into adulthood. Like, what is it within us? Is it an attention thing? Is it something that's almost like innate within humans that we want to please? Can we talk a little bit about how it sort of builds to the, to a place yeah. where majority of us find ourselves being people pleasers? All of us as humans, every single last thing that we do is about meeting needs. And that is how it is until we take our last breath. And the things that we are most concerned with is we all desperately want acceptance. We want to belong. And of course, that gives us a sense of safety and status, inclusion, all the rest. And so conversely, we are very afraid of rejection. Now, we as humans, we've evolved significantly, but we're actually pretty primitive when it comes to our fears and our needs. And so even though, for instance, we don't necessarily, not always, because it depends on where we live, we don't necessarily have to worry about our family essentially selling us off to, uh, to another family, to another tribe, to facilitate the growth of the family, to you know, increase its status. And this, you know, there was a time when if we wouldn't go along with that, if we wouldn't comply, that was like the death of the family and we would be ostracized. Even though that's not where we are, still that's how we feel. Like it's a bit do or die if we don't do the done thing, if we don't comply. Now, added to this is that if you're not a child right now, then you were raised during what I call the age of obedience, which is where the communicating, disciplining, interacting with children centered on making them as obedient, as excessively compliant as possible, particularly in the face of authority. So there was a lot of children must be seen and not heard, you know, do as I say, not as I do, stop talking out of turn you know, don't question authority. And for children, an authority is anyone who holds power over them. And so we received these messages through these interactions directly and indirectly that it was really important to be compliant. And the thing is, is that you can't be compliant and listen to your body at the same time. Children want to be loved. They want to feel safe and secure. They want to be nurtured. And so they work out, oh, Parents seem to be really happy when somebody does this kind of thing. Note to self, do more of that. Ooh, parent doesn't seem to be very happy when I do that kind of thing. Okay, make a note to self, definitely don't do that again. So a classic example is, you know, we, we have a sibling and maybe that sibling gets into trouble a lot about a certain thing, or maybe they just have additional needs. So then we might say to ourselves, oh, I'm going to be like the good girl. I'm going to be the good kid and I'm going to make sure that I don't cause any problems for my parents, but also, you know, they've got their hands full, so I'm going to, I'm going to focus on getting the grades. Boom, we've just defined ourselves. We've given ourselves a job, and it's our way of, of helping out, you know, in the family and being good, but it's a coping and survival mechanism that we actually are supposed to and need to go out of. It's maladaptive. So when we go into adulthood and we continue to use these coping and survival strategies for pleasing others, and this is not just family, this is, it might be a church, community, you know, school, we've received consistent messaging, please your teacher, be good, be sweet, be meek, be mild, don't, you know, talk out of turn, share your toys, why are you being spoiled? Why are you being selfish? All of this stuff contributes to why we're the way that we are today. And one would say, okay, well, we're grownups now. But when you think about, well, we, we go and we start working and 
we then might have a boss or co-workers and they feel that they trigger those feelings of authority. So then we feel like, oh, we have to please and we have to be compliant. So I hear from a lot of people who they're really triggered by work, whether they're working for themselves or they're working for somebody else. And I'll say, who does the person or the situation remind you of? And they will go, oh my gosh, I see it now. That person reminds me of my sister or they remind me of my parent or my old right. bullying teacher or whatever it is. And Social media, I think, because of how it is is set out, you know, in terms of th- th- there is a sense of some people are really happy and successful, and that is what they're presenting online. There's a lot of people selling as well their idea of success. Like, look at me, I'm so fabulous, and if you tell if you follow what I tell you to do, then you yeah. can be just like me too. Mm-hmm. And that makes people want to be compliant, but also the conflicts that you talked about. The conflict makes people want to be more compliant because if you keep seeing things kick off, you think, oh, wow, there's a really good reason for us to please. So we're socialized and conditioned into this people pleasing. And that's all of us as humans, but particularly, you know, more so for women and girls and women, because, of course, we grow up in a system of, you know, patriarchy. Absolutely. And that's actually a really interesting thing that I'd love to cover, because I do think this is something that is more prevalent in women. I'd love to ask you a question about people pleasing being a bad thing. We've talked a lot about maybe the negative sides, but actually in some respects, like for some people, being a people pleaser has got them to where they want to get to, rightly or wrongly. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to talk about maybe the pros and cons of it. We're then going to discuss how we can be less of a people pleaser. <laughs> but I would love to see if there are some pros to it. You know, for example, if I use my own situation, which is all I can recall, there have definitely been situations in my life where I've absolutely been a people pleaser and I've been able to chameleon to the groups that I've been in to try and just absolutely, as you said, be accepted, fit in, um, be validated, whatever it is. And I think that whilst that hasn't served me in some ways, in other ways it has. And it'd be interesting to hear about the kind of is it all bad? Is being a people pleaser completely awful? Or are there properties of people pleasing that actually do help to serve us in some situations? So there is nothing wrong with, you know, being conscientious, being kind, considerate, giving, you know, actually sort of there's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to fit in per se, but it's the why behind it, I think, that can gradually make what can seem pretty innocent become pretty problematic. You know, if we're occasionally people pleasing, you can get away with it. But when it's chronic, you know, when it's it's a pretty frequent where it's like in every area of your life, of course it's going to be problematic. The thing is, is that there, there are some people who be like, people pleasing is like a badge of honor. It's a sign of what a good person I am. And there will be other people that they'll be like, oh, people pleasing like makes you a doormat. And it's it's neither of those things. So it's not about being a people pleaser doesn't make you a bad person. Yeah. And it's not even about it being it's not even about it being a bad thing per se, but it's not healthy as an ongoing way to to approach life. You know, yeah. it's not healthy for your emotional, mental, you know, physical, spiritual well-being because to people please you have to hide aspects of yourself. And of course we have our moments like, you know, one of those popular sayings about work, bring your whole self to work. Are we actually going to bring our whole self to work? Of course, there are certain things that we don't necessarily want to bring there. Does that mean that we're people pleasing necessarily? No, that doesn't necessarily mean that. But there are certain times when I think it is advantageous to us, as you pointed out, where there might be certain phases where if you play the game a little, you can blend in, you know, be a comedian. That can 
that can serve you well, as long as you know what the cutoff point is, as mm. long as you know the difference between you and that version of you that slots in. If it's like an autopilot thing and you just don't even really recognize when you're doing it, this, because people pleasing is, is a form of anxiety. On some level, we are afraid, oh, what if they don't like me? What if something bad happens? What do people talk about me? If I don't do this, are people going to like, like if I don't go well onto this thing, is everybody going to be talking about me? I have to say yes, don't I? So even if we're not consciously thinking about it, it's often an almost automatic sort of action habits that a lot of us are in. A lot of people say to me, I'm really afraid that if I stop people pleasing, I'm going to turn into a really horrible person. No, people pleasing is like a misappropriation of your good qualities. So you don't, not people pleasing will not stop you from being the lovely person that you are. And actually it's not even that you're going to stop people pleasing altogether. It's more that you cut back and you are more intentional and authentic and you recognize where it is particularly harmful to you. So I know like you, like my people pleasing, I think has, has served me well in some respects work-wise, but it was terrible for romantic relationships. And there was a point where I tipped over the edge of work where, you know, it can lead to burnout and where I was not really taking care of myself enough. And also where I was pursuing things for the wrong reasons. Cause it's like, oh, well, that's what makes me look like a good person. Or that's what, you know, people expect of me. So what we have to recognize, it's not our fault that we're people pleasers. Like the world demands it of us or almost really. I mean, when you think about babies, you know, this is an example I often give is we talk about, oh, they're a good baby. So we start with the stuff like as, oh, they're a good baby. Why? Because they sleep, because they, because they eat well, because they're breast. So we're already attaching these labels of good and bad to us from, it's sometimes even in the womb. So it's not our fault that we are the way that, you know, that we have these people pleasing habits, but we do need to look at if we want more intimacy, connection, a sense of well-being, we are going to have to cut back on people-pleasing. Because if we don't, we're going to run into a lot of problems. I, I completely empathize with all of that. And I think it's so interesting talking about how it does start from just such a young age. You know, I never even thought of that, like a good or bad baby, like what the hell? <laughs> they can't even speak. <laughs> you know, how yeah. can we even attribute those things to them? And I think like, I'd really love us to start at this fear of rejection, because I think, you know, in your book, you take us through a six step framework of kind of um, overcoming a lot of this stuff. But I think that I'd love to understand you know, if we start at this kind of fear of rejection, which I think is where so much of our people-pleasing tendencies come from, mm -hmm. you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, it being so innate that we're we're fearful of rejection, but how does one take that first step to just being okay with rejection? I don't know. It's so hard, isn't it, to be okay with being rejected or to not being liked, you know? my biggest thing I'm, I'm I just hate not being liked I'm it's unfortunately so deeply ingrained within me that I want to be liked by everyone that I take it so personally when someone doesn't like me and it feels like such a deep rejection and I'm really would love to know maybe from a personal level <laughs> how how do you start just overcoming that kind of fear of of feeling that way we'll be back after this Welcome back to Give Me Strength. 
something I mentioned in the book is about, you know, a lot of people pleasers will be like, oh, like I'm a really, really boundaried person. And I'm like, well, first of all, people pleasing and having boundaries are mutually exclusive anyway. But also, if you have some nervousness about having boundaries and saying no, that means you also have some nervousness about other people having boundaries and also saying no. Now, the thing is, is that when we allow ourselves to say no a bit more in our lives, to say no when we need, want to, and should, we actually stop taking it so personally when other people say no and they express who they are. Because instead of it being, oh, they're rejecting me, it becomes, oh, this person is maybe having a sense of what their bandwidth is at this current time. It's more of a no, not right now, rather than a no, never, ever, ever. I'm annihilating you with this no. But it's also about, you know, you talk about, and it's such a common one, you know, in the book, I talk about how the, when we, when our biggest fear really is about like not being liked and that sort of fear of rejection, that people pleasing style is gooding. Like as a part of us that will do the things that we think will make us look good, that we, you know, think will, you know, it's like, this is what makes me look good. This is, this is what it means to be a good person, a good friend, a good employee, a good daughter, a good, all of these things. And that means that your, the, the anxiety about not being like can dictate who you are instead of who your actual values dictated that. When we realize actually, if we can embrace saying no, then when you say no to somebody and you realize, actually, I'm not rejecting that person. So let's say somebody asks you to do something next week and you look at your, your calendar, you get a sense of what your bandwidth is. So you sort of, you sort of where you're feeling emotionally, what, what energy you have, what your priorities are, whether you actually want to. And you decide, actually, I don't want to do this thing or I don't have the space for this thing. Is that a judgment? about that person, right? You turning around and saying no to that thing. Is, is that you going, I don't like you. That's why I'm saying no to you. It isn't. And so if we can start to notice this, that actually our no's are very often not about disliking the other person, then we can start to realize, oh, when people say no to me, it's also not about them not liking me. There are people in, their, in your life that absolutely love and adore you who also <laughs> say no to you. And, and would it be safe to say as well that you would hate to think that anybody is saying yes to you because they're afraid that you're going to cut them off and reject them? Yeah. And also your loved ones would hate to think that you're saying yes because you're afraid that they're going to cut you off or because you feel guilty and like a bad person. And yeah. so when we can approach the sort of the way we want to interact with people from this place of, I want to have a bit more freedom and, and connection and honesty in my relationship. Like people pleasing is like wearing a mask or a costume. So it, when you people please, people can't get so close to you. And so there are certain people in your life who you want to allow to be closer to you. And those are the people who you would benefit from cutting back on the people pleasing with. In your answer there, you mentioned boundaries. And I think it's another really interesting topic for us to cover. And I know it's something you talk about in the book. 
I think boundaries have become a bit of a buzzword. And I think for a lot of us, we can sort of, we sort of roughly know what they are, but then we kind of don't Mm. as well. So I wondered if you could maybe explain what a boundary is, what we mean by a boundary. I love that you're asking this because most of us have gone through our entire childhoods never hearing the words like self-care, boundaries, feelings, values. And now all of a sudden we hear boundaries all the time and we're like, but what does that mean? What does it mean? (laughs) Boundaries are our sense of what does and doesn't work for us. So they they really represent our preferences, principles, and priorities. And in the easier sense of this, we are our boundaries. So if I say to you, what's your name? And you turn around and you say, Alice. And I turn around and I go, oh, great to meet you, lice. (laughs) You just expressed a boundary when you told me what your name is. Mm. I just expressed that I didn't actually respect your boundary when I called you something else. So everything we do is us expressing our boundaries. So our our boundaries are our expression of who we are and what does and doesn't work for us. And so they're expressing our needs, desires, expectations, feelings, and opinions. When we have healthy boundaries, we have a sense of the difference between us and others. We have a sense of what we are responsible for. Boundaries are not telling people, you must do this and you're not allowed to do that. That's not really what boundaries are about. It's expressing who are we, what does and doesn't work for us, what are our limits? And when we see it in this way and realize that everything we do is a boundary, whether it's a a healthy one or not, everything we do is an expression of a boundary. That also means that boundaries are as much about what we say yes to as they are about what we say no to. And it's so interesting because I think that the reason why a lot of us, and I could be generalizing here, but I think the reason why a lot of us aren't able to assert boundaries is because actually when you talk about it being our values and our um, kind of, you know, initiatives in that sense, a lot of us aren't really in touch with what our values are. Like, has anyone yeah. ever, like, I've never sat down and been like, what actually are my values? You know, and it's such a, I remember doing it with my therapist ages ago, like being like, who actually am I? Like, what do I even stand for? What do I like? What do I dislike? Um, and because of that, and because I think we've become so um, consumed with seeing what everyone else is doing, we mm-hmm. actually forget to look, in, you know, inwards and introspectively and sort of say, well, who am I? And what do I actually like? And what do I actually stand for? And I think that in doing that and in, you know, particularly with me, me and, and learning to assert some very loose boundaries, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm not quite fully there yet, but it's really taken me to understand, you know, who I am and what I like, dislike, what my values are, all that sort of stuff. And that's still developing, but it's still been really helpful to me because without that sense of kind of knowledge and insight, you can't really assert any boundaries because you're not really attributing yourself to anything. Yeah, I think that that is where we run into a lot of problems with people pleasing because we're so oriented to being concerned with everybody else's needs, desires, expectations, feelings and opinions that we actually aren't too aware of what ours are. You know, we're so busy going, oh, I like what everybody else likes. I don't have a problem with that. I want to do what you want to do. And we discover who we are by discovering who we're not. And so if we start to pay attention to Things that have, that have happened in our lives that are often repeat themes, they're telling us something uh-huh. about who we are because our values are our, our, our moral qualities. So there's things that we really sort of pride in us about our character. 
And some of those things we are right now, and some of those things we're working towards. And the other aspect of our values is that that sense of direction. So those those things, those those opportunities, those relationships that that matter to us. That's those are our priorities. And I think that when we people please, as I said, we're so caught up in everybody else's that we don't really kind of stop to think and go, how does this how does this work for me? And if we can start to notice from some of the challenges as well as the joys, oh, this is what lights me up. This is what feels good for me or, oh, that doesn't feel really good. Or even some of those times where a lot of us will go, I'm a really, really honest person. Are we? Because sometimes it's not that we're a liar per se, but people please and will bring the liar out of us. But we can be guilty of we're honest as long as we think it's not going to cause us any problems. And then what happens? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then we experience different challenges and we're going, oh my God, like, why is this happening to me? And it's like, oh, because I wasn't actually honest about that thing. You know, as well, we complain about things with people. So I say, that's also a good clue in understanding yourself. We'll be like, I just don't get it. That person just won't be straight with me. And they're not talking to me about this thing. And it's like, but you're not going to that person and saying, hey, I know what's going on here. Can we talk about this thing? So often we complain about other people's dishonesty without recognizing where we won't do it ourselves. Actually, I want to now shift us to talking about something that I think will help a lot of people that are listening, and that is boundaries in the workplace. I would say the number one place that I hear from people that are really struggling is not actually having boundaries with the people that are in their personal life. If anything, just from a personal perspective, I found it relatively easy to set boundaries with the people that I love because I'm able to communicate those really well. And I know that there's a level of understanding with the people around me that if I say, oh, do you know what? I'm actually too busy or I'm quite tired. Is it okay if we leave it? You know, there's a general understanding there that those people are going to be okay for the most part. But I think that for a lot of people, setting boundaries in the workplace and being able to communicate boundaries with colleagues is a really, really hard thing. And I know that there will be people listening who will want advice in this area. So when it comes to setting boundaries with people that are outside of your, I guess, personal sphere, how do you help people to navigate that in a kind of healthy, um, mature way? So you're absolutely right that work boundaries are like they are, I suppose, the the red zone or the hot zone for a lot of people. And actually, part of the issue is that a lot of people don't believe that there is such a thing as work boundaries because they believe that because they have this job or because they're doing something, even if they're freelancing, that is in exchange for for money or or they're working for themselves, they think that they're not supposed to have boundaries. It's it's almost like we've sold ourselves to whoever is employing us or, or buying from us. When actually there is such a thing as work boundaries and we need them more so than ever because having boundaries at work stops us from exploiting ourselves but it also stops us from allowing others to exploit us so i think one of the big challenges with boundaries is that you remember when i said about how we grew up in this age of obedience and it taught us how to be compliant well work brings out compliance in us whether that's us working for ourselves or working for somebody else, it brings out this sense of compliance, especially when it can feel like if I don't do this, I'm going to be living in a cardboard box by the weekend because I'm going to lose my job. Like that's how a lot of people think about it. But we have to remember that with our work, we are hopefully 
exchanging our, for instance, labor, intellect, talent, creativity, you know, various skills, something we've made, whatever it might be, we're exchanging that for money and resources and hopefully benefits to go along with that. So I point this out because a lot of the time we behave as if we almost owe whoever it is that we're working for, that we're always in debt to them and that they have this almighty power over us. Where we can leverage a level of boundaries at work is one, being respectful of our bandwidth. So our bandwidth is like how we spend our attention, our time, energy, effort, and emotions. Hot flash or news flash, none of us are machines, but a lot of us are behaving as if we are machines. So we don't go for a wee, we don't have lunch, we skip meals, we skip rest, we work extremely long hours. We can do that occasionally. We can't really do that, though, as a given, because our bodies aren't designed for that. And so where we can start to shift our relationship with, with, with work is to recognize where we are going too far over our bandwidth. So we know we're over our bandwidth when we feel drained, when we feel exhausted, when there's the overwhelm, feeling overloaded, trapped, you know, helpless, powerless. At the extremes of it, it can cross into stress-related illness, burnout, having a breakdown. But often with work boundaries, people don't really consider that they need to have work boundaries until they're already in the equivalent of like a 999, you know, 911 emergency situation. So it's like they're only thinking about it now because something really terrible has happened. But actually, if we start to approach our work from a place of, yeah, maybe we do like our job or where we're working, but we also want to be respectful of our bandwidth and to, we don't want to decimate our well-being in the process, we can start to be a bit more intentional. And that can simply often come down to what would my working week be like if I didn't work long hours every single day, I allowed myself to go for a wee, I allowed myself to have regular breaks, I allowed myself to eat, and I allowed myself to basically not be answering emails in between like trying to like have my dinner and go to bed. For a lot of people, if they changed all of those things, their working life would shift dramatically. Because nobody, let's be clear, I know some bosses do like to carry on as if they do own us, but they don't. And for the people who are working for themselves, and obviously that's you know, myself and, and you, Alice, I'm like the worst boss I ever had. You imagine that when you are self-employed, it's like, oh, freedom, flexibility, I can make my own hours. But actually, I learned a lot about boundaries and my people-pleasing as a result of how much I demanded of myself. So um, really start to pay attention to what you expect of yourself and whether you are being you know, reasonable about that. Like, I used to try to squeeze too much into a day. I was unrealistic with my time. I would often... I was just kept achieving and achieving and achieving and never really was like, oh, let me internalize this and appreciate what I've done and really just like give myself a bit of a breather. It was like, right, on to the next thing. And I've had to really cut back on how much I do because there is this idea that the more we do, the more money we make or the better it makes us as a, an employee or as a boss or as a worker. It doesn't. Actually, you'd be surprised that when you really start to have a bit more boundaries, that you can be more intentional with your time and stop exploiting yourself. 
Definitely. And I think there's something to be said as well for this kind of hustle culture or busy culture Mm. that there's this obsession with being busy. And, you know, if I ask any of my friends at the moment, how's your week been? Oh, so busy. So busy. (laughs) Everyone is so busy. And, And it's true, like people are really busy, but it's almost because we've we've almost all like universally joined this kind of need to be constantly doing. And mm-hmm. I think that um, that's expected of us in, in all areas of our life, whether it's, you know, we need to be working on our health. Then if we're not working on our health, we need to be working on our appearance. If it's not that, we need to be working on our job. And if it's not that, you know, we're constantly doing, doing, doing. And I think for me, one of my best sort of uh, kind of light bulb moments was just learning to press pause and for that to be a boundary in my life that like there is absolutely no guilt to be attributed to just sitting on the sofa and reading a book or like taking a moment to press pause and I think that a lot of us are hugely ambitious individuals who want to achieve and who want to do all the things that we want to do and and almost social media gives us this kind of um opportunity to see that stuff is just within our reach if we just work a bit harder but I genuinely believe that that's such a fallacy and honestly like I I am happier and healthier now at this point in my career for learning to just be okay with not having to work all the time and being able to this morning like I'm I'm actually going to work tomorrow and I decided that I I'm self-employed. I can swip, swap my week around. So this morning I went for a lovely brunch with a friend and I saw my friend's kids who I haven't seen in ages. And I was able to do that because I was like, do you know what? I don't need to be forcing myself to like work this morning when actually, why don't I do a couple of hours work on a Saturday when I've got a quiet afternoon at home and then kind of do it that way. Look, I know that that's an incredibly privileged thing to be able to do. I understand that that's not possible for everyone. But I do think that in some ways, like just learning to give ourselves the permission to rest and to do that in a way that isn't filled with kind of guilt and shame is going to help in such an immeasurable way and almost that if there were one boundary that I could give people to try and do for themselves is that that we just all of us don't need to be doing all the time yeah you know something I I, I stress to people is free time and you know uh, we all define that differently but whatever free time we have isn't the same as availability. And I think what a lot of people find themselves in is it's like, oh, well, I don't have something else that I'm doing at that time. So it's like, I can't say no to that thing because I don't have something else to basically blame it on. Free time does not mean availability. Also, you are allowed to rest. And that means that if you want to sit there and stare at a blank wall, absolutely nothing you are entitled to do that something else we need to remember as well and you know you mentioned about about privilege and you're absolutely right that depending on circumstances and privilege there are certain choices that some of us don't necessarily get to make however one of the things that i've noticed about the culture of work in fact two things one is that if everybody cut back on people pleasing just even a little bit and they had just a little bit more work boundaries, the entire system of work would collapse because the culture of work is based on exploiting people pleasers. Many companies are relying on people pleasers to stay behind, to do more than they are actually paid to do. Some people are doing two, three, four, five people's jobs. Many companies are relying on people pleasers to drive their businesses. 
The other thing is, is that, you know, we talk about, you know, we, we talk about sustainability and about diversity and inclusion and about fair trade and, you know, fair working conditions. The mentality that so many of us have about work is very similar to those who are working in very harsh conditions where, for instance, they are forced into what is effectively slave labor in factories producing you know, goods that we consume here. But if we think about the mentality that we often have about work, I can't say no, I have to stay at my desk until the boss has left and then I'm allowed to go. It's like we are doing exactly that t- same type of work over there. Also, here's another thing, if we are working so many more hours than we are actually paid to do, depending on how many hours we're doing, we're effectively cutting our salary in half. So we actually might be earning less than somebody who might actually have a lower pay position than us, you know, or have a lower status position than us at work. But because we are working so hard, and so what I encourage people to do is really get to the why. So is it the case that you can't have boundaries at work because that is the culture? And there are some places that are like, you must stay here, everybody's working 12, 15 hour days. So acknowledge, is it that you're working somewhere that doesn't allow you to have a life, that doesn't allow you to respect your boundaries, that wants you to work like a machine? Or is it that regardless of where you work and regardless of where you are in life, you don't allow you to say no? Know the difference, because then you can have a much more honest conversation with yourself about work. And then know your why. So when you're like, oh, I have to do whatever it is, you know, I'm not allowed to take this time. Why? You know, what's behind that? And then it might be, oh, actually, I'm afraid that that person I'm a little bit envious of at work, they might get more attention than I might or whatever it might be. And then also, when, you, when you're when you off from work, in whatever context that might be, so there's a lot of people, they, they might not necessarily be working a five-day week or they might be working in shifts or whatever it might be. Don't, like, let that time be your time. Like, don't, don't let people intrude on your non-work time. The amount of people I hear from, they're still getting calls from work, they're still doing emails and working in what is supposed to be their personal time. That's a big one, actually. And I remember like, yeah, even just from a, a personal perspective, I remember that there'd be times where you'd be on holiday and you'd have your out of office on and you'd still have people that are like, oh, can you just come back to me on this? And you're like, I've literally, I've explained so thoroughly. <laughs> I'll give you an example. We're gonna, um, I need to round up soon because I, um, I feel like we could talk about this for hours. Yes. But, um, there was a really good example of a girl that I once emailed and I can't even remember who it was now, but I just remember getting this email back and it was so clear and so thorough. And it was basically like, I work these days and I work these hours. And if you email me outside of these hours, I will not be coming back to you until the following day. And it was so like, it wasn't rude. It was just very clear. And it was like, mm-hmm. this is my hours. And I'm being really um, explicit about when I work and when I don't work. And I remember being like, wow, power to them. Like, that's amazing to be like that. But I think if all of us are a little bit more kind of clear and in some ways, you know, there's the, there's always those memes that fly around about like how a woman replies to an email versus how a man replies to an email. There's such <laughs> such crap. But but if I were to, if I were to spend a day replying to emails, how some men do with the confidence and with the chest that they reply to some emails with, up. yeah, I feel like I'd probably get a little bit further in life. But I want to bring it back to three things. If you had to three tips that everyone listening today can take into their life now that are going to help them maybe to be a little bit p- less people pleasing, 
pleasering. I don't even know if that's a word, but we'll <laughs> go with it. A little bit more boundaried and hopefully just be a bit more clear on who they are and what they stand for. So the first would be to notice when the people pleaser feelings show up. You know, that's the anxiety, resentment, overwhelm, frustration, feeling overloaded, helpless, powerless, you know, those feelings that we might term as uncomfortable or or negative. Actually, they're information. They're letting you know that you have said yes to something that for all intents and purposes might be a good thing, but you said yes for the wrong reason. Or that even if you do want to do it, you're doing it in a way that is really not very caring of your well-being. So those feelings are giving you information and letting you know you need to be more mindful here. And if you can notice where those feelings are showing up, you will gradually find your way to having healthier boundaries because you'll start to figure out what you need to say no to and what you can healthily say yes to. The next is to notice your thoughts. So some people be like, I just don't even know what I'm feeling. And that's very, very common with people pleasers because they're so like on autopilot and caught up in everybody else. But notice the thoughts. So, you know, like somebody asks you to do something and outwardly you're like, yeah, sure. No problem. Inwardly, you're going, oh my God, beep, beep, cursing out in your head. I just can't believe the audacity of this person asked me to do. Notice those kind of thoughts. Notice where you say yes, but actually inwardly you are panicking. You're thinking, you know, how am I going to get out of this? Or where you, there is this sort of worry. Like if I don't say yes to this thing, you know, everybody's going to be like, why didn't Alice say yes to this particular thing. Like, what kind of person is she? Maybe she's not. Notice those kind of thoughts because they're letting you know that if you were to say yes on this basis, it would be for the wrong reasons and it would be people-pleasing and it'd be problematic. Or what you can do is like, oh, notice those thoughts and can you get to a place of like actually wanting to do those things? And actually that brings me to the third one, which is to, and this is one of the steps I talk about in the book, but make it a desire or say no. So look, there are plenty of things that we feel like, oh, I should do this. We feel like we have a lot of shoulds in life, but start to notice the difference between what you feel you should be doing and whether you actually want to do something. Because there are some things in life, say for instance, with family or with work, where we do have that sort of sense of, oh, of an obligation here. Even if you have an obligation, if you do it from a place of obligation, it is going to lead to guilt, resentment, and frustration. Yeah. So if you do it from a place of desire, then you are consciously consenting to what you're doing. You're doing it from a place of feeling good about yourself rather than being compliant. If there is a difference between what you want to do versus what you feel you should be doing, then that gives you an opportunity to actually really pay attention to what is going on, whether you actually want to try to get closer to what that should looks like or what your want looks like or whether you just need to say no. Mm, So, so interesting. I could honestly, I could chat about this for hours. It's so fascinating. And I think that it's probably a really topical thing right now as well that I think a lot of people are starting to wake up to the fact that uh, they're not owned by their employers and they do have a voice. And I think helping people to learn how to use that is going to be really empowering. So I hope people find this episode useful. One thing I'd love to say, Natalie, if people would like to find your book, can you tell us the name of it and where they can find it? So my book is called The Joy of Saying No. 
It's a simple plan to stop people pleasing, reclaim boundaries and say yes to the life you want. And it was published by HarperCollins and it is available in all the stores online and some bookstores as well. Um, and you can find me at natalielu.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. We'll put all those in the show links as well. Um, thank you so much, Natalie. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you. I'm really, really grateful for your time. Oh, thank you for having me, Alice. I really enjoyed it too. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I would love it if you could take some time to rate, review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it. We have a new episode dropping each week so this will also ensure you don't miss out. See you next time. Insanity Group.